the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church, where we minister in the spirit of excellence under the leadership of our anointed senior pastor, Bukas Sterling III. Please stay tuned at the end of this broadcast for information on how to obtain a copy of today's message in its entirety. And now, Pastor Sterling. We want you to join us in Revelation chapter 2. We'll begin our reading at verse number 1. Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, reads as follows. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Amen. This journey that we've been on, summer revival for the modern-day church, begins in Acts chapter 2. We spoke there in part 1 of the series from the subject matter, remember we need the Holy Spirit. I pray that if you forget all the other messages that were a part of this series, don't forget we need the Holy Spirit. If we're going to be the church and do what God has called us as the church to do, we need the Holy Spirit and we have to rely and depend on the Spirit of God. Secondly, we were in Acts chapter 3, part 2, we talked about reviving the reputation of the church. We came to the realization that the church does not have a good reputation in the world, but the church's reputation is our reputation, and so when we represent Christ well, the church gets represented well, and so we need to revive the reputation of God's church. Thirdly, in part three, we were in Ezekiel chapter 34, and we spoke there from the subject matter, revive the shepherds. Ezekiel there gave 
strong condemnation, if you will, and rebuke to the shepherds because they weren't taking care of God's sheep. And we expanded and helped all of us to understand that the shepherds, even though they do include the priests, the prophets, the pastors, the leaders of the church, it also includes teachers and managers and supervisors and parents and other people who have roles of leadership throughout our community. And so the rebuke or encouragement, if you will, and direction came to revive the shepherds. And then last week we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we spoke there in part 4 of these messages from the subject matter, come out and be separate. And as we look there, we found out that we are to come out and let there be no yoking together with unbelievers. God encourages us to have interaction with them. We have to and we must, but we can't yoke up with them. Then secondly, come out for there is no commonality between us. Paul made it very explicitly clear that between the believer in Christ Jesus and the world itself, there are no commonalities. We've got nothing in common, and so there's no reason for us to be hooked up together with them, but rather to be separate from them, even as the Lord has instructed us to do so. Thirdly, he said to us to come out and realize who you are. We have to understand who we are in Christ Jesus. Not only who we are, but whose we are. And when you understand and realize who you are in Christ Jesus, you'll realize that you've got too much invested in you for you to live like the world and compromise your position with the world. We have to stand strong and represent the Christ who gave his very life for us. This segment of Revelation presents for us several messages to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. In these messages that God gives through John, who is isolated on this island of Patmos, the messages come, each one begins with an address, first of all, to the angel of the church. The angel of the church is the God-ordained, designated messenger that God put in the church to give his message to. The angel of the church is the pastor of the church, the head of the church. And he begins with a message to the pastor, and it is followed by a commendation and or a criticism, and then finally an exhortation to do what is correct. It's interesting to me that the very first church that's being addressed has a very common issue that fits our situation that we walk in today. Not only our situation, but it is a such a common issue, if you will, that it will probably fit a whole lot of churches that would be addressed in the text. But that is the loss of focus and the loss of love for God who was their first love. And so God sends this message of criticism, and even as I looked at the message of Ephesus, he commends them for these things that they're doing well, but we wouldn't even receive all those commendations, first of all, because unlike the church of Ephesus, we like to embrace evil. Not only that, but we let anybody be an apostle. We don't check their credentials. We don't examine them according to Scripture. Anybody can run around and call themselves an apostle. And just in case you were wondering, there are no apostles today according to the biblical mandate of being apostle. It is impossible to be a biblical apostle according to Scripture today because you have to see Jesus in person. But the church of the modern day, we just let things go. Everything's happening. I want to talk to us on this morning from the subject matter, renew your priorities. 
I am convinced that the reason why Christians are acting like they're acting and you can't tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is because our priority has shifted from the love of God to the love of everything else. I'm convinced, Katerin, that the reason why that churches are dying and closing their doors and the reason why the churches that are even in existence that are busting at the seams and people are, are running each over in the parking lot, the reason why even though the, we're large and we got big churches, even though we got all that going on, the church of today is of none effect. If you realize, if you really looked at and examined most of the churches in America today, the growth of the churches in America is not happening through new growth. It's happening through transfer membership. We're just moving members around. Once one church closes, we just absorb their members. There's not a whole lot of doing what God called us to do. The church is ineffective because lives are not being changed. People are just finding a new place to socialize. But the reason for this is because we've lost our love for God. We've severed our priority for Christ being the, what is most important in our lives. So since he's no longer our priority, I want to encourage us to renew our priority. If revival is going to take place in the modern day church, our priority has to go back to loving Christ first. He has to be our first love. He has to be what motivates us. Through this passage in Revelation, God challenges Ephesus and the modern day church to renew their priority. He begins first and foremost with a rebuke to the church. Verse 4 says, even though you've done some good stuff, okay, cool. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. I have this against you. I'm going to rebuke you, modern-day church. I'm going to rebuke you, church of Ephesus, because you've left your first love. You started out well. You were doing good. Before this passage and message comes to John, 35 years earlier, Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus saying to them, I pray daily for you. I'm excited about you. I'm bragging on you. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15, he says, I never stop giving thanks for you for the great faith that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, even the apostle Paul was celebrating them 35 years ago, but within that 35 year period of time, something happened. Their priorities shifted from the love of God to something else. And God now says, Ephesus, I have something against you. And so he says, you've maintained good religion. You've got good religion. You've got good practices. You've labored diligently. You're doing church well. You're doing ministry well, church at Ephesus. You're doing all those things well. You even have fought to maintain sound doctrine. I appreciate that, church at Ephesus. But you have left what was most important in the whole resume of worship, in the whole resume of service, in the whole resume of Christianity. You have shifted your priority from the love of Christ to the love of yourself. You have left and abandoned your first love. The one who gave his life and loved you most is the one you ought to have been loving, but you've become mechanical, you've become ritual, you've become melancholy, if you will, in the way that you do things because you know how to do them, but you're not doing them with a heart that says, I love the Lord. You're doing them because you know how to do them. 
You're doing it because you've been doing it for 35 years. You're doing it because you've been in church all your life. I know what to do. I know how to tip out. I know how to put my finger up. I know how to give at the offering time. I know what time the pastor preaches. I know what to do when it comes time for praise and worship. I know what to do when the praise director tells me to stand up, clap my hands, stomp my feet, slap my, slap my neighbor, high five. I know what to do. I know church. But why am I doing what I'm doing? Church at Ephesus, God rebukes you for leaving your first love, which is him. He who was able to bring you out. He who was able to do the impossible things for you. He says, you've left your first love. And I I hold this against you, church at Ephesus. The fact is that, that you've been doing good church. You've been doing good things. And I realize you've been preaching. Yep, that's good. You've been teaching. Yep, that's good. I like that. You've been doing all these things. You've been serving in ministries, ushering, singing in the choir, playing in the band. I'm counting the money. You've been doing all these things. and, and, And all these things are great that you're doing them. But the question is, why are you doing them? Here's what I want to talk to us about. When God says to the church at Ephesus, you have left your first love, it's hard to comprehend that after reading the first few verses because the first few verses sounds like they've got it all together. I mean, here's a church that's fighting against false doctrine. Here's a church that's examining the text and keeping people accountable to the word of God. Here's a church that's serving. Here's a church that's worshiping. Here's a church that shows up on time. Here's a church that's doing all the right things. How can you say, I've left my first love? Because we're not dealing with man. We're dealing with God. He knows the motive behind what you do. Just because you come to church every Sunday ain't because you love God. Preachers in the pulpit, it it, it might not be just because it's your Sunday to sit up here, but maybe you didn't get up this morning and come to church to sit in the pulpit because you love God. Pastor in the pulpit, are you doing what you're doing because you love God? You can fool man, but God knows your real motive. Why did you get up this morning, Pastor? Why did you get up this morning, musician? Why did you get up, choir director? Why did you get up, usher boy? Why did you get up, sound ministry? Why did you get up to do what you do? Was it because you were motivated by the love of God? God says to the church of Ephesus, I know what's going on in your heart. I'm pulling back the covers on you. I'm exposing you. You have left your first love. You know how to do the mechanics. Yeah. You know how to exegete scripture. Yeah. You know how to pray a prayer. Yeah. You know how to serve people and usher them into the door. Yeah. You know how to greet them when they come in the parking lot. Yeah. But why did you do it? God knows your real motive. I appreciate that you're doing the stuff, but your motive for doing what you're doing is wrong. You don't get no brownie points in heaven when you're doing it for you. Only what you do for Christ is going to last. So he first rebukes the church. But then he says to the church in verse 5, remember where you were. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember when you did what you did because you were in love with God. Remember that? Remember when you adored him and appreciated him so much that you couldn't help yourself. I can't help but get up and go to the house of God. I can't help but serve the Lord. I can't help but preach sermons. I can't help but sing to the glory of God. I can't help but play my instrument. I can't help but stand at the door and help somebody else into the house of God. I can't help but serve the living God because you were so in love with God. Remember where you were? Remember where you have fallen from. 
What he says to the church of Ephesus, you have fallen from a position and sometimes we don't want to acknowledge that we have fallen at all because we think that we've pushed pause or we push automatic pilot and we're in coast mode. But if you think about, first of all, how did you get to where you were and where you started from, it will remind you that I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. I was staying so deep deeply within and nobody would help me but the Lord came and rescued me. I think sometimes you got to think about where you came from and how you got to where you are. Sometimes you got to remember it wasn't on Sunday morning that you got up to come to church. It was on Sunday morning that she was looking for how I'm going to deal with this hangover. On Sunday morning you were thinking about what's the next thing I can get into before I go back to work on Monday. On Sunday oh there was a time there was a time you weren't getting up on Sunday to go to no church. And you sure enough wasn't getting your clothes ready the night before. Not for church. There was a time on Saturday around 11, the clothes you were getting ready was to go out that night. That's what you was doing around 11 on Friday, Saturday night. And you wasn't thinking about going to worship God because that's where your priority was. And then the Lord rescued you. Hallelujah. He delivered you up out of your mess. Well, he says, look at here, that you've left your first love, your priority has shifted, but if I'm going to remember where I've fallen from, I've got to remember where I was, and where I was is where I was in sin and where I was on my way to hell, but Jesus stepped in, interrupted my flow, and saved me, and because he saved me, I was excited about God, and he lifted me up, and he put me in a high place, and I was giving everything I had to him. That's where I was, and I have to remember where I was and now am I still there? Am I still excited that the Lord saved me? Am I still excited that he delivered me? Am I still excited I don't have to wake up with a hangover? Am I still excited that the God gave me a husband or a wife? Am I still excited about what God has done in my life? Remember from where you've fallen from. But he says, your priority is shifted. He's calling them, he's calling the church to remember from where they've fallen because there was a time when they were very grateful and in their gratefulness, in their gratitude, in their eagerness and excitement about what God had done, it wasn't hard to get them to serve. Nobody had to keep calling them on the phone. Nobody had to keep chasing them down to do anything. But they would serve with excitement and with joy and satisfaction. And then those who were serving weren't serving out of ritual, but but they were serving out of love for God and God says you've left your first love and so I rebuke you as a church for where you are but I'm calling you to remember where you've fallen from and if you remember where you've fallen from maybe you can get back to where you need to be and so the next thing he says to them the latter part there middle part of verse number five he says repent and do your first works this word repent gives the idea of turning 180 degrees from where you're going or where you are and turn back to where you were to serving, to worshiping, to giving God and placing him as priority in your life, causing him to be the one that motivates you, excites you and drives you to do what you do. He says, repent, repent, be godly sorry that you cheapened what God did for you down to faking it and pretending like you really cared. Do, church of Ephesus, what you used to do. And he says to them, watch this. He says, repent and do 
the first works. This command is a command of unison. It is not a command of choice. He doesn't say you can repent and not do. He says repent and do. He wants them to do both. And so when God calls for repentance, it's first of all indicative of the fact that God is not pleased with where the church is. So God says to the church of Ephesus, I'm not pleased with where you are. You're doing some good stuff, but I'm not pleased with this whole idea of leaving your first love and becoming ritualistic in what you do. So he says, repent. So now, now repentance is not only indicative of the fact that God is not pleased with where they are, but it's also indicative of the grace that he's extending. So God is saying, look, I'm giving you grace. I'm giving you an opportunity to turn back, to, to get things right. He orders the church to this place of repentance to go back. He's giving them this chance and giving them this choice to do what is right. Get it right. I believe that even right now in the, the modern day church, God is calling the church to repent. He's calling us to go back to our first love. Do you realize even the person who is loved the most can take that love for granted? You can have the best husband in the world, best wife in the world, who loves you for everything, is always available for you, and you can take that for granted. And watch this. And then eventually, some other fool comes along and, and, and shows you a little bit of attention, and you will abandon the greatest love that was given to you by your husband, by your wife, by your mother, by your father, and you'll be chasing after something that ain't even worth it. And, and, and the Lord is saying, look, I'm the best you can ever get. But you out there chasing after love that can't even satisfy you. <laughs> You've left your first love. I loved you most. So he says to us today, repent and do what is right. Do what is right in life. Do what is right in worship. Do what is right in service. Do what is right in serving God and renew your priorities to having him be first. Finally, he, he gives what I call a retaliation by removal. He says, now you have a choice. You can either do these things and be blessed, or, still in verse number five, he says, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What is that? Well, if you go back to chapter one and look at the explanation of the lampstand in, in chapter 1, verse number 20, he says the lampstand is the church itself. If the church won't give me my glory, I'll just remove the church. If you, you just want to keep acting a fool, I'll just remove you right on out the way. Church of Ephesus, if you won't repent and do what's right, I'll remove the church. I'll remove you, Ephesus. I'll remove you, Kettering. I don't care how long you've been in existence. I don't care if you are the most historic church in town. I don't care if you just bought the building. I don't care if you just paid off the mortgage. I don't care how long you've been. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how small you are. I'll remove you if you don't put me first. He says, look, I'm, I'm, I'll retaliate on you. Your priority has shifted. I'm not first. And this is my church. And I built this church on my own sacrificial blood. And what I went through to allow you to be a part of this body, I'm not going to let you embarrass me. And so therefore, either I'm going to be the first love because I'm a jealous God, or I'll just move you on out of the way. Because I paid too much for you. I love you too much to let you destroy 
what I've put in place. And so I need you, church. I need you, Kettering. I need you, modern day church. I need you, listening audience. I need you to renew your priority and put me first instead of putting your husband first, instead of putting your children first, instead of putting your career first, put me first. <laughs> love me more than you love that scholarship that you're hoping that you're going to get for your child. Love me more than, than that retirement pension that you have vested your last 20 and 30 years pursuing. Because you can get that retirement pension, die and go to hell. What good is that? But you better put me first. I'm the one who saved you. I'm the one who died on the cross for you. Put me first, God says, or I'll move you right on out the way. I'm calling the church of the modern day back to Christ. I'm calling them back to loving God. I'm calling them back to doing what God has called us to do. We've gotten too mixed up and mixed up in all kind of other stuff. You don't know sometimes whether you're going to church or you're going to a convention of politicians when you get in the house of God you come to worship the living God it's all about him put him first renew your priority modern day church Christ has to be first praise the Lord you've been listening to the radio broadcast ministry of Kettering Baptist Church under the leadership of senior pastor Bukas Sterling III where we minister in the spirit of excellence We pray that you have been richly blessed by today's message. Financial contributions in support of this ministry are welcome. We thank you in advance for uniting with us in kingdom building. For a copy of this sermon on CD or to hear this message again on the web, please visit our website at KetteringMinistries.org and remember to reference the title or broadcast date. We hope that you have enjoyed our journey together and we invite you to join us for one of our spirit-filled worship services Sundays at 8 a.m. or 11 a.m. at our new edifice called the Legacy Center located at 6909 Crane Highway, Upper Marlboro, Maryland. For additional information, go to our website at KetteringMinistries.org or contact our church office at 301-574-3515 Please join us again as Senior Pastor Bukas Sterling III and the Kettering Baptist Church family minister in the spirit of excellence.